hey, if you're here, you're in the right place. I'm Tyler Freeland, and welcome to the Brand X Cleveland podcast, a forum where expert voices come together united for one purpose, to help businesses and causes survive and ultimately find success through crisis. And we have a little bit of fun along the way. You can find this episode, as well as previous episodes, at brandxcleveland.com. That's brandxcleveland.com. On this episode of the Brand X Cleveland podcast, myself and Mike Ozan talk sales with Scott Moss, CEO and founder of M Sales Growth Advisors. Walking the audience through the sales funnel, Scott talks about the importance of a clear sales mission, aspects of a successful sales team, and the impact of a solid sales strategy. One of the many things to take away from this episode is the significance of building relationships and maintaining trust between clients. Another big takeaway from this episode comes from Mike and Scott's dialogue as they reflect on their own experiences of starting, leading, and guiding a business. This is a good one. And without further ado, here's Scott Moss on the brand team. Okay, uh, my name is Scott Moss, and I'm the principal, uh, founder, owner, and dishwasher at M Sales Growth Advisors. Um, the first word that comes to mind to describe myself: um, entrepreneurial. But that's kind of it's kind of what everyone says, isn't it? No, I haven't had that. You'll get a chance possibly at the end of the episode to to uh, find an, find another one as well. We'll go with entrepreneurial. We can we can stack on top of that. Good deal. Uh, um, so Scott, why why get into sales? What was the allure, or what brought you down the path? Yeah, I had no allure to get into sales when I graduated from college way back <laughs> way back okay. when in in ninety one. It was I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, so I went on all these job interviews and I interviewed for sales roles. I was a marketing major at Syracuse. And every role I interviewed for was a salesman. So I thought, well, okay, it's a job and, and I'll go into sales and I'll learn how to do this. And mm-hmm. um, I was hired as a stockbroker for Dean Witter, which certainly ages me. But um, yeah, I was 22 and I, I sat in front of a, a shared terminal with, with another stockbroker and they gave me a phone book and a stock sheet. And uh, they said, go, go ahead kid call call people up and, and get them to invest their hard-earned money with you even though you, know, you set, still sound like you're in eighth grade no training so yeah yeah there was Always. there was some training you know i, I don't want to i don't want to sell dean Wooder short there was training but the essence of it was um I, i'm not sure if maybe the training didn't take or maybe uh-huh. i didn't want it to take you know yeah. i was i was more concerned with where i was going that night than i was you know honing my skills as right. a, a professional you know stock schlocker mm-hmm. and um but yeah so i went through training got my series seven got all my licenses of course of course went mm-hmm. through that but then it was okay go and whew, that was a rude awakening to the real world Some how long big... were you working with uh, a retail brokerage i mean how many how many years did you work with that company and those clients yeah, yeah. So I, I stuck it out, and and I really do mean I stuck it out for for three years. I was with Dean Witter for two years, and then went to a small uh, boutique financial planning firm uh, for just over a year, and and realized that um, selling to consumers um, in, in that kind of environment was really not my cup of tea. 
it's hard. It's really, really hard. And as much people say a buyer is a buyer, whether you're selling to a consumer or whether you're selling to a business, there is still a significant, actually maybe not so significant, but there is still a difference in terms of approach because when you're buying for yourself, there's, there's a, a, a personal impact that it has versus when you're buying on behalf of a company. You know, you don't necessarily take it home with you. But when you buy for yourself, whether it's a sweater or a stock or an insurance policy, it's, it's a different kind of a feeling than when you're buying services for, for marketing or creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I found myself better suited to be on the B2B side, for sure. What were some of the biggest do's and don'ts you learned along the way? Um, don't take it too lightly. Don't okay. take it too lightly. Uh, just because you're in your early 20s and you think you have the rest of your life in front of you, professional life in front of you, it goes really fast. It mm-hmm. does. And, and my advice uh, is, is to take it really seriously and, and use those years in your early 20s, whether you love what you're doing or not, to hone your skills, to pay attention to what you're doing, to position yourself for success later in life, regardless of whether or not you're gonna be switching industry, job type, or what have you. So, so the don't is don't take it too lightly. It's awesome. And what did you ask? You asked me what the do's are? What are the do's, yeah. Um, the do's would be still have fun. Still okay. find whatever, you're, whatever you love to do find that and do it because if you if you if you're doing what you love it's not work if you have passion for it it's not work it's just mm-hmm. what you do every day and sometimes people can find that with their first gig and mm-hmm. sometimes it takes 10 or 12 gigs before you mm-hmm. get to the thing that you really love and that allows you to wake up in the morning and feeling like you're just living your life instead right. of going to your job or towing up to the man as people like to say and I assume that you found something you loved whenever you began M Sales Growth Advisors. Yeah. Why did you start it? I started it for a couple of reasons. First is I was separated from my, my last company, um, a startup. So, you know, I, I found what I loved, which was B2B sales, uh, B2B mm-hmm. sales leadership and developing process and strategy and executing on that. That's, that is my passion. So mm-hmm. once I realized that in the early part of the 2000s, I, I really enjoyed my, uh, my professional career. The reason the, the genesis of, of M Sales is because the last startup I was with uh, kind of imploded uh, about a year ago now, actually, mm-hmm. almost, probably almost to the day. Hmm. And, and I was faced with, uh, do I go through the process of interviewing and, and taking a, a senior leadership role at a company and Mm -hmm. being at their mercy, whether it's a startup or middle market or what have you, or do I finally cut bait on that side and, and hang my, hang my shingle as it were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I think I'm going to try this whole shingle thing Mm -hmm. and take what I've been doing for the companies that I've worked for, for all these years and turn it into its own boutique sales consultancy. And that's really what I did. And, and I have found my true passion in being my own boss mm-hmm. and, and taking my entrepreneurial spirit and love of sales and process and the strategy behind it and turning it into a viable business and being able to bring my level of sales sophistication to small and medium-sized business owners who 
might not otherwise uh, be able to afford hiring a an executive level, uh -huh. you know, chief sales officer or VP of sales. And what do you see in mid-market mid companies as the biggest mistake or thing they're missing when it comes to building an efficient and effective sales platform? Are they all making basically the same mistake or they have the same myths that they believe they subscribe to the same, you know? Yeah. So one of the, one of magical the magical hooey, <laughs> there's no magical hooey, but what I will tell you is that every company, um, middle market or not believes that their, their customers are different. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think the mistake that they make is trying to be so specific to their customer, to their client, that they lose sight of process and, and ability to scale. And, and they want to, because of that, they, they, they try to be everything to everybody and, and you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so you need to understand what your sales mission is. And, and I think that's where most companies mm -hmm. miss is they don't know what they're driving towards. And, and from my perspectives, there are perspective, there are several components that make up a sales mission that regardless of your company size, you need to have listed. And then it starts with, you know, identifying your target industry and, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and identifying within your target industry, your ideal customer, you know, define mm -hmm. that, um, mm -hmm. understanding the buyer persona, you know, what is it going to mm -hmm. take to convince the decision maker that they should buy from you and, and, and not sell to them. There's a huge difference there. And, and also making sure you have very clearly stated and measurable goals supported by KPIs. Mm -hmm. Those things combined make up a sales mission. And if you don't have that first, then you don't really have a strategic sales plan. You really just have tactics mm -hmm. that you're, you're throwing at the mm -hmm. wall because everything needs to tie back to your, in my opinion, everything needs to tie back to your sales mission. That's the foundation. Mm -hmm. and, and without a foundation, um, you know, you don't have anything worth um, strong enough, I should say, that's strong enough on the bottom to withstand all mm -hmm. of the execution and activities that go into closing deals. Mm -hmm. I don't know how evolved particular industries are, but sales traditionally, like if you look at um, any manufacturer's rep, a printing shop that has reps that are selling to businesses, those have traditionally been groups of mostly men that sold, they believed that the company lived and died on their innate God-given talent to, con to persuade. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, the salesperson uh, persona. Um, do you still see a lot of that out there? Are there a, a yeah, lot of and there is a lot of that out there and, and it depends on your industry. So commercial printing is a great example yeah. of an industry where it's still very much reliant on the personality of the salesperson and their belief and their ability to persuade. And, and it's very old school. It's, it's very old school and, and, and dated. The old school doesn't mean it necessarily is, is bad, but if it's dated and old school, then I think there's a problem. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I've run across that. And the problem is that's not scalable. You can't scale a guy who thinks he has to persuade someone to buy from him. 
it's just, mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way. You can scale process and you can scale methodology and you can scale uh, nurturing cadences, but you can't scale an individual who thinks just get me in front of somebody and tell me what the features and benefits are of our product or service. And I'll convince them that they need me. It, it, the, the dynamic has shifted in the way people buy. And, and, you know, this is not something that I created. It's all over the place. It's the internet the, the, and the concept of buyers being two thirds of the way through the process of making a decision by the time they actually get to the salesperson is true. And I've seen that play out over and over and over again. So now it's up to the salesperson combined with marketing to make sure that they are present at the right time with the right subject matter expertise and the right messaging so that they're part of the consideration set when that buyer is at the point of consideration and decision. That is scalable. So are you officially announcing the death of the salesman? <laughs> I'm not officially <laughs> announcing the death of the salesman. And, you know, certainly I can't go back to poor Lenny, um, whatever his name was from the, from the play. But uh, I, I am announcing the, the death of the old sales process because it wasn't a process. I, I'm, I'm announcing that, I'm not announcing it. It's been announced before, you know, through books like Predictable Revenue and the Sales Acceleration Formula mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. I'm just reiterating that if you're going to continue to do it the old way, then your sales will plateau and you're going to be stuck at that point. It'll work for a while, no doubt about mm -hmm. it. But if you want your business to really grow and to have um, significant revenues, if that's what your goal is, and not, that is not every business owner's goal. Some business mm -hmm. owners want a lifestyle business and that's great. But the businesses that don't want that, they, they can't do it the old way. They've got to adopt a new, more progressive, formulaic approach to growing revenues. What are some like a universal constant that, you know, stuck with the old way and it's going to continue always? The, the relationship. It, it's still, mm -hmm. you know, once you do get in front of somebody, once, once they do see you as a subject matter expert, you still have to be able to relate and empathize and, and effectively communicate the value proposition beyond what any type of content marketing or, or thought leadership white paper has been published. The salesperson is still integral in mm -hmm. taking it from middle of the funnel to mm -hmm. close top of the funnel. We, you don't need the salesperson anymore. Mm -hmm. That that's taken care of, but the middle of the funnel is still a constant uh, touch point right. and, and really critical threshold for the salesperson. And, and again, it comes down to establishing that relationship Mm -hmm. Building further credibility, uh, positioning yourself as a subject matter expert, being trusted mm -hmm. and, and making sure that the buyer feels comfortable that you really understand their position and whether, whether they're trying to get rid of a pain point or create an efficiency or hit a certain objective, the more you can relate to them in their language and, mm -hmm. and with, with their mindset, the more likely they are to select you. Mm -hmm. to, to win the business. And then the keyword there was, they are more likely to select you. You're not going to sell them. It just doesn't work that way. And you mentioned, um, I read your blog that you read a couple of days ago about the middle of the funnel. Yeah. 
you talked a lot about uh, mentioning a, a, it seems like you have to have maybe not the same values, but the same kind of mindset that you share with the clients. And there has to mm -hmm. be a, an equilibrium there. There does. There does. There, there has to be a mutual sense of respect and expectation. And one of the things I point out is that as much as the client is putting you through due diligence as the service provider or as the, the manufacturer of a certain product, you should, on the flip side, be doing the same thing. You need to make sure that that client is a good fit for you because if they're not, you won't be successful. And if you're not successful, then it's going to reflect poorly on your organization, on your company. And none of us small business owners want that. We rely way too heavily on our reputation. I don't have people to spin it. I don't have PR to push messages out. I don't have marketing to right or wrong. I, I need to make sure from day one that the relationship is, is on equilibrium, like, like, you, like you had said. Really, okay. really important. And I've learned that the hard way over, over years. You know, that's, you know, just the nature of the beast. We're, we're competitive as sales guys. And I am a sales guy. We're very competitive. And I want to win every deal, every opportunity, every lead that's presented to me. But right. the more I recognize that it still has to be a good fit for me, mm -hmm. the, the more sane I will remain. Awesome. Yeah. And I kind of want to go back to that. You, you talked about entrepreneurial at the beginning of this. Mm -hmm. And before we get into brand X, also, I want to bring Mike into this. And if there are any, you know, startups listening to this or people wanting to begin a business, being uh, as you are both founders of, of business, what are some obstacles that uh, you see at the beginning and how do you overcome them? Sure. Um, I'll start it off. The, the biggest obstacle in, in, in the startup world, in, in my mind, is, is fear. It, it's fear of failure. I think um, there's money out there. If you, if you look hard enough, you'll find it. It's an obstacle, but I don't think it's the biggest obstacle. Um, if, if, if you're creative and, and you are entrepreneurial, you'll find product market fit. Mm -hmm. If, if you can um, relate to people, you'll, you'll close, you'll close some deals. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're afraid to take that leap, it'll never mm -hmm. happen. And, and if you operate, within an environment of fear, then you can mm. paralyze yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. Fear is a driver to a certain extent of mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, fear of failure. But the fear I'm talking about is fear of success. The willingness mm. to actually put yourself out there and, and grow and achieve success. However you define that, uh -huh. you know, it could be you know, we have a location in every state or we have 30 clients in the first year or we do 20 million in revenues, whatever greatness is or success is to you, you can't be afraid of that. You can't be afraid to achieve, to, to put yourself out there and, and to, to try to grab it. That in my mind is, is the biggest obstacle. Mm -hmm. I have a great fear of success. Yeah. I feel that all the time. That's the fear that I feel most often. Uh, even with, you know, brand X, you, you, you come up with an idea and then you get other people excited about an idea and you make big promises and then you have a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. And the more it succeeds, the more responsibility you take on. And, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone who, who wants a life. Well, okay. No one can live on a lifestyle company. I mean, 
Okay, some people maybe do, I, but I can't. But you're right. I hear you. Mm -hmm. You are forever in a loop and you really got to love that loop, meaning you own like a little store and you like being in the store and you like the customers and you like the, the products you sell. And that's what you do. But uh, most businesses just can't do that. And um, that fear of success is, do I have the capacity to meet the demands that I'm going to create if I do succeed? Mm-hmm. Or if I just don't have it in me to make that all that stuff I promise happen, I'm finished. Right. I'm over. I'm doomed. Right. Yeah, 100% like, agree. Oh, what did I, yeah, what did I do? I would have never guessed that. I would have figured, you know, the biggest fear would be the money, would be where to begin. And not necessarily. Well, for some people, that's true. That, that's absolutely true. But like from my, my palms would, are sweating thinking about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, going, going out there and doing an investor presentation that I've done them is, huh? is really nerve wracking. Um, and, and that's a scary proposition all by itself. But it, that, I'm not afraid of that. It doesn't, it doesn't paralyze me or, or, or stop me in my tracks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but Mike said something really uh, insightful and, and that, that fear of success that, you know, if you keep accelerating the business and achieving higher levels, then the expectations continue to mount and then mm -hmm. more people are relying on you and, mm -hmm. and, whether it's your family or your employees or your clients or your, your suppliers, that, that success has a significant amount of responsibilities. And I'm faced with it right now. You know, I have uh, a, a really nice client portfolio, but I'm about at capacity, hmm. right? So in, in order for me to grow my business and to get out of a lifestyle business, hmm. uh, and, and fortunately, you know, I've only been doing this for 10 months, um, hmm. which, which is, that's a whole nother story. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I am now at, at the precipice of having to spend some money to effectively bring in more top of the funnel leads and mm -hmm. to, uh, bring more process to my company. And, uh, that means, you know, the, the bank account is going to get smaller with the potential return of mm -hmm. landing more business. So you know, you think about that fear of success and, and, and Mike is right. You know, you have to be prepared to navigate your way through it. You really do. Why did you uh, decide to unite with Brand X, Scott? Um, Mike sold me. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, Kind of. Well, you know, so, so Mike and I got connected and um, we met in his backyard, his great outdoor office in, in <laughs> the beautiful, in the Heights. And, you know, I started yeah. looking around and I sat back. I thought, this is great. I got to hang out with this guy more often. And if Brand X means I get to come here, then I'm in. <laughs> the, the reality of it, though, is um, I'm, I'm very passionate about small business. Uh -huh. And I'm also very passionate about um, giving back. Mm -hmm. And I saw Brand X as a great opportunity to accomplish a couple things at the same time. And okay. that's getting back. And it's, it's uh, tapping into my passion for, for small business. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's really it. That was it. 
it didn't help to look at the roster of, of SMEs that, that Mike <laughs> gathered. It, it, mm-hmm. it didn't hurt that, um, you know, it was going to probably offer me some, some nice publicity through, through mm-hmm. the, uh, through the marketing efforts. But the, the, the real reason under all of that is I truly want to give back. I want to help. If you ask people that know me, they should tell you the same thing. Absolutely. That's why I wrote in your, I think your profile about you being an altruistic leader and you even end your blog with, um, what is it? Go out and achieve, achieve something. Go out and achieve greatness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thanks, man. And, and I Mike, believe it. to caveat off of that, why did you think Scott would be a good fit for Brand X? The interesting thing is, I don't know what forces existed that kept Scott and I from meeting all this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably should have known each other since we were teenagers. If, mm-hmm. you know, Cleveland mm-hmm. East Side norms, you know, right. uh, provide as they often do, but we didn't meet each other. We actually met through LinkedIn. Mm. Um, and Scott, had you know just commented on some of the things that twist was doing and then when we launched pivot he really took a look at pivot and he wrote a post about it that Mm -hmm. he shared which uh, i thought was just you know spot on because i said to charlene as we were working on kind of summary descriptions of what this complicated brand pivot workbook thing was i said let's just take scott's look at scott's blog Uh because he summarized it and then broke it down into uh, I think there were uh, five pieces um, mm-hmm. that he had kind of summarized as and made it really simple to understand mm-hmm. and uh, I was just really impressed with the initiative uh, the fact that he was paying attention to what we were doing I was appreciative of that because we do things all the time that obviously we think deserves attention it doesn't always get it and uh, it's nice to see that things do start to resonate, uh, you know, if you keep after them. And um, that's how we met. And uh, we at Twist are very much, you know, from the sales strategy standpoint, uh, we're, not, we're not very far down the path from, mm-hmm. you know, in Scott's perspective. Mm-hmm. And we also wanted to talk about business development and, you know, how do we build longevity with clients? Not just, mm-hmm. you know, how do we acquire new clients, but how do we really build that relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, we have people obviously twist their excellent at that, but it's always nice to have someone from the outside who specializes in that relationship. Right. It's something you can't put a number on and you can't mm-hmm. see it, but when it's gone, you know, you can feel it. Mm-hmm feel it sometimes, you know, if you are a small business with maybe three anchor accounts and one of them changes, even if not through any fault of your own, it has a gigantic impact that vibrates, you know, out Mm -hmm. far down to your kids and your relatives and, you know, your banker and your, you know, your uh, stockbroker as you clear out your account, you know, mm-hmm. you have to, you really have to understand the value of that relationship. And the only people I think that really understand it are people that own small businesses. Mm-hmm. Because I could name, in fact, I prided myself in the beginning on the on surviving 
the loss of our first anchor account. I mean, call me a cynic. As soon as we landed it, I prepared myself to lose it because I said, one day I will lose this account, mm -hmm. right? They're going to either get bigger and move to someone bigger than us, or mm -hmm. I'm going to do something that pisses them off or something will change. And what mm -hmm. changed was the, the business was sold to private equity and it was a chain of retail stores and, mm -hmm. uh, and we lost that account. And, um, that was a terrible, it was a terrible day. Mm -hmm. And I knew that day would happen eventually. And I was mentally prepared, but I said, all right, now we have to really look at everything, make changes, mm -hmm. make cuts. I mean, it hurts people. Mm -hmm. And if you are the one that damaged that relationship, as I often have been, that person who's damaged the relationship, being who I am, um, not intentionally damaging it, only thinking about their best interest, but pushing too hard right. and making people uncomfortable. So, I, you know, I have cost my own company money by not valuing the relationship. And, mm -hmm. and I can't tell everyone enough that even if you are in a retail business and your customer is, is not, you know, any small group of people, Mm -hmm. you still must have a connection with them. They need to carry that relationship around with them mm -hmm. where they're thinking about, well, that's my dentist. That's mm -hmm. my, that's mm -hmm. my banker. That's mm -hmm. my auto dealership. Mm -hmm. That's the relationship. Yep. Well said. Brand X Partner Spotlight goes out to SLB Public Relations led by President Stacey Vassilani. She has over 30 years of experience and connections in the city of Cleveland. She offers expertise in public relations, content marketing, social media strategy and execution, media relations outreach, planning and implementation of desk side editorial meetings and presentations to national consumer and trade media. She also does writing services, including speech writing, trade show media relations support, corporate communications, crisis communication, and special event planning and management. Basically, if you need something that involves communication, get a hold of Stacy at slvpr.com. That's slvpr.com. You talked a lot about relationships earlier in the episode as well, Scott, as being something very important. On top of that, you know, as far as what you bring to the Brand X table, talking about sales, if I'm a small business owner, what's a sales process and, and why is it important? Sure. So, you know, sales processes is really just the the concept of taking a potential client from the, the from inception to when they learn about who you are and what you do uh -huh. to the point where they decide that they're going to work with you and they're going to hire you. So, the the multiple steps that go from lead to client that's sales process. So you have to have something really well identified, well well defined that will help marshal or usher a, a lead through that process. And, you know, some people call it the funnel or the pipeline, but it's, it's a process. So that has to happen. I, and I forget the other part of your question. No, that's you, you answered the first, the first part, but um, I didn't ask this as well. I was going to ask where does sales strategy fall into that? So sales strategy is the, the methodology. So process is step-by-step. 
the, the strategy is, is how you're going to bring them from one step to the next. So it goes back to what, when I talked earlier in, in, in our conversation about having a really clearly defined sales mission, mm -hmm. because that, that sales mission, you know, who are you going after? What is your value proposition to them? Why should they believe in you? Uh, all of that stuff is your strategy. What is, what is the offer? What is the, the problem you're solving? And, and putting your marketing muscle behind that, that encompasses the sales strategy. And mm -hmm. that is what you're using to guide the person through the sales process. And mm -hmm. that's where tools, um, sales enablement tools like marketing automation and, and CRM and uh, pipeline management solutions come into play because mm -hmm. it, it enables the business owner or the sales leader, if, if they have to be different people, which uh -huh. a lot of times in small businesses, they're not, which is mm -hmm. one problem. Uh, but it allows that individual to have clear sight lines into the health of their, their lead pipeline into their sales funnel. So they know what to expect in terms of potential new business mm -hmm. um, and they can plan accordingly and, and set their forecasts to that, which you know has obviously a profound impact on everything else in the business. And you also help, you advise sales teams. What are some attributes of a good sales team? And I also was gonna bring Mike into this as mm -hmm. well, because I assume you have to be a little creative to have a good sales team or to be a salesman, I don't know kind of want to see the similarities between what are aspects of a good sales team and what are good aspects of a creative team? Sure. Um, so, you know, the first thing I look for, or first thing I talk about when I look at a sales team and I'm helping a company with that is, are they aligned? And, okay. and there's different types of alignment that I talk to them about. I talk about uh, team alignment in, internally. In other words, are, are they working as a team? Do they have a similar direction? Do they understand the, the sales mission? And are their actions driven by that mission, right? So that's alignment. There's also alignment from that team to the company and the company's core values and the company's vision and the company's mission. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. You have to make sure that your team fully believes in, in the higher purpose of the organization. And, okay. again, and again, they're aligned with that and they're directionally focused on that. So that's the second alignment. The alignment is interdepartmental. And the sales team, because they're so uh, influential on the success of the business, has to be really well aligned and collaborative with other teams, especially marketing. And I've written a few blog posts on this because oftentimes sales and marketing uh, clash because they think, they operate in silos and they don't. Right. They're, they're, they're very much interconnected or they should be very much interconnected. In successful organizations, sales and marketing uh -huh. um, work hand in glove and, and they support each other and yeah. they, they share some goals and metrics and KPIs and that helps them march in the same direction and be, uh -huh. uh, be more collaborative than, well, you're top of the funnel. You worry about this. I'm bottom of the right. funnel. I'll worry about that. It can't work. It can't be that way. It really can't. So when I advise on sales teams, I look for those three things for, in alignment. And a lot of times it comes down to, do you have the right people mm -hmm. with the right role, the right, the defined role in the right seats? And this is stuff that I've borrowed from, from EOS. I 
you know, didn't make this up either, but it makes sense. Right. And, you know, does the sales team, are, are they, do you have the people with the qualifications doing the things that they're most suited to do? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's big. And then how are you measuring their success? Mm-hmm. You, you have to have, you have to have KPIs in place. You have to have performance metrics in place so that they know how to be successful and you have to guide them on that path. You know, mm-hmm. professional development is really important. Uh, you can't just say, like they told me, Dean Witter, here's your playbook and go. That mm-hmm. that doesn't work. You know, salespeople uh, need to, to a certain extent, be caught and and they have to be uh, coached and mentored and developed. They can't be yelled at. That that right. salespeople don't react well to that. Uh, no. That's that's <laughs> sure. I'm positive. Because I've salespeople. seen salespeople getting yelled at. Oh, I've yeah, seen that many, at. many times. So have I. And, and I have to tell you, if, if I'm being 100% honest, I am sure that at some company, at some time, on more than one occasion, I've yelled at one of my sales reps. Sometimes and, pain and, and And the feeling afterwards is horrible. You know, you put, it puts a pit in your stomach. And, and I've learned over these years that you can't do that. That's not how you get the most out of people. Right. But don't, don't tell my kids that, please. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and Mike, I was looking for similarities too, because he was talking about sales teams, some attributes and what goes into, you know, a, a creative team. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I can, I can tell you from the brand side because what we do comes right before what Scott does. Right. Right. And then some of the things ha- are happening in parallel. But what we do is, you know, you said everyone on the sales team, the company in general, needs to know what the company's higher purpose is. What's our why? Why are we here? Right. Why do we get out of bed every morning and come to this place and do all this stuff? you know, that we, we may or may not like. What's our why? Is there some benevolent uh, purpose that we are a part of that we can feel good about? And we are the ones who author that higher purpose for the company. You know, we boil down what is the why of this brand? What is it all about? How does it move and act in the world? And how does that become a filter for the way we engage our customer and the way we engage our customer is all about the way we train our salespeople. Mm-hmm. So salespeople training, you know, is 15, 20% brand. What is this brand I'm representing and what would it do and not do? Mm-hmm. You know, is this the kind of brand that's like, you know, gets caught giving the finger to someone in the parking lot right before they walk into the meeting? Probably not. (laughs) You know, we need a personality to follow. And if you're doing stuff like that, it's not hard to say that you're off brand. Your Mm -hmm. behavior is off brand. Your decorum is inappropriate to our company. Mm -hmm. Your dress Mm -hmm. is off brand. So we have this filter it says, hey, this is who we are. We're very buttoned up or we're very loose or we're somewhere in between or, you know, we're very professional. We are very, you know, we're very clear in our speech. And that brand voice then also plays a big role in the way salespeople communicate. And it plays a big role in the way we write materials. 
-hmm. And when you, uh, the goal, you know, if you think about something like uh, simple, like the Best Buy brand, and when they implemented the Geek Squad, and mm -hmm. they became the appliance store and TV store where there were no commission salespeople, only tech nerds that are just dying to like hook up your VCR. Yeah. Or whatever we, you know, stop your VCR from blinking. Like these are the guys that can get it done. They'll drive over your house if they have to. Because, you know, we became, Best Buy had a realization that they wanted to be to the American home, uh -huh. the technology solutions place, not just the place where you buy your TV or get big speakers or they mm -hmm. want to be a solutions provider and they provided a service, you know, and the service is what sells the product, mm -hmm. not a salesperson, but that service is provided by a person in a, you know, a blue polo who you just trust. Mm -hmm. And you trust them because Best Buy has done a lot of good work around the Geek Squad, mm -hmm. building that brand, being present and getting gathering customer reviews. So mm -hmm. they've, you know, put everyone else out of there. There are no other stores that are Best Buy anymore. There's no Circuit City. There's no the other one and the other one I can't remember. And the 10 of them I used to go to all the time. Yeah. Right? That's right. You know? As far as where the similarities to a creative team, I guess the thing that's that's most similar is enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a why too. Mm -hmm. You just have to be enthusiastic about what you're doing and, and obviously have the training, the talent, the skill, and the discipline. But mm -hmm. if you bring all of those things, you know, to the table mm -hmm. and you don't bring enthusiasm, it falls flat. You might move forward, you might achieve, you might move up, but people won't be excited for you. You know, um, that energy is what makes the boring stuff that we all have to do 80% of the time be tolerable so we can enjoy the 20% of work that's really, really exciting. You kind of uh, intertwined brand and sales a little bit there. And that's actually what's going to be one of my, my questions. How... And you, Scott, you mentioned marketing and sales going hand in glove. How does, you know, brand and sales work hand in hand as well? Where do they meet? As far as I'm concerned, they meet at the hiring stage. You know, when you're, when you're looking to bring on a salesperson or when you're mm -hmm. evaluating your sales team, they, and you, to use this word again, they have to align with your brand. They, they have to be good representatives of your brand. They have to believe in the same thing that your brand does. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've always said throughout my entire career that, you know, you hire for brand or something you call culture or values, right, right, you right. hire for that first, because you can train other stuff, you know, certainly, you know, you can't hire, you, you can't expect to hire a salesperson uh, without, you know, having a significant amount of sales experience. But the first thing you're going to look for in that individual is how well they align with your brand and what it stands for. Uh, if, if you can check the boxes for that and um, they need a little bit of sales coaching or tweaking, that's fine. But you can't do it reverse. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it. You can't teach brand. You can teach sales, you can teach marketing, you can teach Adobe. You can't teach brand. Mm -hmm. Going back to sales strategy, 
in relation to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. How has sales strategy changed or pivoted in respect to the pandemic, if at all? It has. It, it has changed. And, and companies are, are fearful of being successful. Mm-hmm. There it is uh, which means which means putting them themselves out there during challenging times uh-huh. and and you can't let that control you you have to embrace that um, so it, it's actually helped me as I've as I've started my business because the companies that I talk to the ones that are sitting on their hands and waiting for things to shake out and this that and the other thing those mm-hmm. are companies that don't get it they're, they're, they, they can't embrace the fear of success and they can't embrace the, the challenge of really elevating their business. They, mm-hmm. they can't, and, and they probably never will, which means they're not a good client for me, hmm. right? So the ones that I've learned that I've spoken to that still look at business as business, regardless of outside influences, those companies who are dedicated to their craft and their employees and their customers and their vendors, regardless, mm-hmm. again, of timing, those guys are great clients for me because they wow. get it. They get wow. it. They know that they can't ever take their foot off the sales gas. They've got to awesome. keep pushing forward. Now, there are certain, maybe certain levels, maybe not pushing as hard, but they're still mm-hmm. pushing forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one of the things that's really kind of helped me stay on target. And it has helped me stay focused because I can tell right away. I can tell right after my first conversation with somebody in the middle of the funnel, if they're going to be hemming and hawing and, oh, I don't know. And I got to uh-huh. make this decision and I got to talk to 20 people before I can get approval. And I have to ask my dog, you know, those guys, those companies, <laughs> they, they, they get in their own way. And, uh-huh. and it is, this might sound really arrogant, but I just don't have time for them. I've got mm-hmm. a business to grow. Right. And they're going to ask you for a payment plan. They're going to say, Scott, instead of paying your fee for your expertise, what I'd like to do is let's have a wait and see approach. And when the sales start coming in, I'll start paying you. And that type of attitude, I hope, has been choked out mostly. And that people are starting to see that, you know, uh, Scott, I, I don't know exactly how old are you, you are, but I know that you probably have 20 to 25 years at least in your field, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And for someone to say to you, well, let's just see if you actually know what you're doing is, yeah, a waste of your time. Right. Mm. And you have to, as a small business person, I think this is a, a really good point, Scott and we work on this very hard, you have to select your customers very carefully because the good ones, like you said, will move you forward. They'll propel you and fuel you. They'll inspire you to improve what you do because you're excited to see them succeed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the other ones will just take up your time of which you have very limited supply. And that is your inventory, your time. And so mm-hmm. basically what they'll do is they'll take most of your inventory out of your warehouse and leave you pretty dry yeah. with maybe maybe you break even on fees but there's no future to it so there's no value in a client that has no future you two speak very similar language <laughs> or, or like kindred spirits yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah, anyone listening to this podcast, you need to know that we can help you sell stuff. And that is what we're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. You have stuff, you made it, whatever, it's spaghetti, it's a product, you need to sell it, you need to reconnect with your customers. And that's really what we're here to help yep. you do. That's and exactly what we're You need to sell something. Yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll find a way to put you back in front of customers and get them to see you the way for the things they need to see. Uh, you know, every small business that I ever talked to, we asked them several questions. And one is, what is what's your what's your magic wand wish? If you could wave a magic wand and suddenly everybody that was important to you would know about you, what you know, and understand it in exactly the way you understand it. Mm-hmm. what would that be? Because typically hidden in that question, as you answer that question, exactly what you need to communicate. Hmm. Well, we wish that everyone knew we had five products instead of the two that have been around for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what, well, we have to tell people about these products. How we, That's mm-hmm. when, you know, agencies come in and sales and marketing people come in. Mm-hmm. And as simple as it is, I want to say to all business people, you have nothing to be embarrassed of if there's something simple that's gnawing away at you that you know you need to do, it's easy to do, that you haven't done. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's simple and easy to do that you haven't done it because you have lots of hard and complex, complicated things that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But I would encourage you to push yourself to do some of these simple and easy things. You know, and you're, you know your business, you know what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you need to know how we can help, how do you can, how you can access help, that's what Brand X is for. That's great. Right on. What's next for M Sales Growth Advisors? Wow. Well, we're, we're coming up on one year, April 1st. And, Congratulations. Um, thanks. Thanks. So what's, what's next is for me to move from solopreneur to 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 a company that has you know uh, subject matter experts of its own to help our clients. So I, I need to build out my resources. That that's what's next. Awesome. And what is one word you would use to describe yourself? Tenacious. Mm-hmm.